Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. This is Juru for Female Startup Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. It's Dune here, your host and hype girl. I'm coming to your ears from Sydney, Australia, and it is a beautiful day over here. It's very sunny, no clouds in the sky. If you've just found us, I am so grateful and so happy to have you here. Every week on the Female Startup Club podcast, I interview some of the world's most successful founders and women in business to understand their blueprint to success. And today, you're going to meet someone very, very special, Ju Ru. She's the founder of a company called Hero Cosmetics. Now, we had Ju on the show back in 2020. And as you can imagine, it was the pandemic. I was London-based, and it feels like a total lifetime away from where we are today. But she was on to share her journey in starting the business. And if you didn't hear that episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it because Ju took a very interesting path to launching Hero, and it's well worth a listen. It's got so many interesting gems and many tactics that we can all take note of. But today, we're digging into something very different. It's very exciting, and it's kind of crazy, like insane crazy. It's her path to acquisition. We often hear on the show from entrepreneurs who have raised millions of dollars in capital and are in the middle of the journey. But last year in 2022, Jew sold her business for $630 million. $630 million. That is more than half a billion dollars. Wow, crazy. And it's rare that we get to learn from someone who's actually pulled this off at this scale. This conversation is so insightful. And as always, Ju shares it all. So buckle up because we are in for such a treat today. Just one thing before we get into this episode, and while I have you here, 
I just want to give you some hype girl energy to get out there and start posting on TikTok today. Today, people. Last week, I shared something completely left of field to my usual content online. It's very personal, it's kind of gross, and it has just exploded online. I'm talking millions of views, thousands of followers, hundreds of new subscribers. And it really just reminded me that the power of TikTok is still just so insane and so here for everyone to access. We can all use it today. It's free to use. It's just a time investment and it's so worth it. So go check out the video and then DM me if you want to chat about your TikTok strategy because I'm thinking about doing some solo episodes where I break down key strategies and also answer some questions. Alrighty, let's do this. Let's get into today's episode. This is Jew for Female Startup Club. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. Welcome to the Female Startup Club podcast. Hey, Dune. <laughs> I haven't seen you in so long. How are you? I know. I haven't actually seen your face on camera or RAL in a really long time, but I have seen you all over the news. So I have seen your face a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love this for us. Oh I my know. gosh. How are you today? How's Paris? I'm doing great. Paris, we're, I mean, it's springtime, so the weather's getting better. Uh, there are a bunch of uh, protests recently, but that's sort of calmed down. So things are things are good here. I feel like on TikTok, Paris looks really bad. It looks it doesn't look good. Yeah, <laughs> is the is the rubbish cleaned up? Is it as bad as it looks online? What's the vibe? It's all cleaned up. 
it was that bad. So whatever you saw on TikTok, it was pretty bad. I mean, the trash, it, it was like walls of trash. You'd be walking around, you'd just be grossed out. But uh, it's all cleaned up. It's all back to normal. There are no more protests. That's died down. So yeah, it's sort of back to normal. Back to normal. Relatively normal. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about today's episode and I want to give everyone listening just a little bit of context because if anyone's starting to tune into the show recently, you might not know that we've had you on the show before and I think it was in like 2021, maybe early 2021 or even 2020 potentially. Don't remember, but yeah, it was a while ago for sure and a lot has happened since then. It was a while ago. A lot has happened since then. At the time, you were absolutely crushing it and I recommend everyone going back and listening to the first version of your story because that tells the kind of early stages of what you were were building and how it was going and you'd always done things a little bit differently. You launched exclusively through Amazon. You grew through these crazy retail partnerships like Target and Ulta and then in 2020, you crossed over the $100 million in revenue mark and you went on to sell your business for something totally nuts, like $630 million acquisition vibes. Like that's, that's, that's on track to a billion dollars. Like that still blows my mind. So I'm so excited and I'm so happy and I'm so inspired by what you've been able to achieve. And I'm very grateful to have you back on the show to talk about part two of the Hero Cosmetics journey. (laughs) Yeah. And just for anyone listening, additional background is June and I were having drinks or coffee in Paris. And this was before we sold the company. And I was talking a little bit about it. And June was like, oh my gosh, you have to come back for part two. So here we are, (laughs) we're doing it. And I'm happy to share a little bit about the experience. Gosh, I really remember that night. And I just remember like feeling feeling what I feel now, very excited for the future you of what was about to happen and how the course of your life was going to change in a very significant way. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. Where do we want to start this? Because I want to obviously circle around the acquisition. How do you sell a company? You know, you're still kind of fresh. This is like six months since it's been actually announced. So maybe let's start by just understanding your point of view on an acquisition, had you always planned to sell the business from the get-go or was that something that came along the way? For us, we always knew that at some point we would want to sell this company. And especially when we took on investors, we took on investors in 2020. And usually when that happens, the investors, you know, they put in a, a certain amount and they they expect actually their money to be returned to them with some kind of return. And usually that's that's um, the way that that gets done is in some other kind of transaction. It could be another another sort of growth equity round, or it could be selling the company to a strategic, uh, which is what we did in our case. And then and then I have two co-founders who are not family. So the other thing to consider is who who you have started the company with, because if you, you know, if you started the company with family, a lot of times those businesses get passed down to the, you know, the next generation of the family. Uh, But for us, since we were not related in any way, uh, it just, we knew that at some point there would be some kind of exit where eventually, you know, the company would be under the wings of someone else. And we'd probably have, you know, we'd probably move on to different things. 
I bet those investors are real happy with that return. They're <laughs> real happy. Yeah. And I mean, um, and for context, I mean, we were their first investment. This is a, this is a new fund. Uh, the fund is called Aria Growth Partners. And I mean, they're both longtime consumer investors, but they uh, it's Jackie and Trevor, and they came together to start a new fund. And we were investment one. So wow. <laughs> I think we we both took bets on each other because they took a bet on us, but we took a bet on them and it worked out really great. And I think they're really happy. I think we're all happy. I just missed the name of the fund. Could you say it again? ARIA Growth Partners. Yeah. A-R-I-A. ARIA. Okay, great. I'm going to look that up later. So you're building the business. It's going really well. In 2021, you crossed that 100 million mark. What point were you like, hey, let's like look to start selling the business or was it like, let's be proactive, identify the buyers that we would go to and like see what happens? Or is it like someone actually just dropped into your inbox one day and you went down a different pathway? For us, so it can happen many different ways, but for us, the way that it happened was internally, we always had this $100 million mark as the benchmark. Like once we get there, once we're on that path, we should seriously think about trying to sell the company. And I didn't realize why the $100 million mark is uh, is important until after we started the process. But internally, that was just sort of the, the hurdle that we had. And so we got there a lot faster than any, any of us really expected. So we were on that path in 2021. And uh, we had received the investment in 2020. So we had a board with board members and uh, two of the board members were the investors from Aria Growth. And then it was the three founders. And so when, once we were well on to the track of $100 million, it became a board topic, actually. Um, hey, we're going to hit this, this benchmark. Uh, do we want to consider putting the company out for sale you know, sooner rather than later. And um, I remember at that board meeting, uh, one of our investors, I mean, without hesitation, he was like, yes, and we should go out <laughs> as soon as possible. Because even, I mean, the economy right now is very weird. And I mean, we're probably going to be in the US, at least we're probably going to be in a recession later this year. But even 2021, I don't know how he had the foresight, but even back then, he was worried about the clouds darkening in the global economy. And so for him, he really did push us to move quickly because he knew that, you know, who knows what was going to happen in 2022 or 2023. And it turns out uh, he's very right because I think the M&A environment right now is, uh, it's not great. And is that what you mean when you said 100 million was actually very important or was there a different reason why 100 million specifically is very important? So what I learned, so why 100 million is important is because uh, a lot of a lot of bigger companies, when they want to buy these growing indie brands, they want something, quote unquote, of scale. That means they want to know that you have proved out that this product or business, it can reach a critical mass. So usually, I mean, some, some companies go earlier, but usually they like to see you around, let's say an 80 to hundred million dollar mark. And then what I've heard is that the bigger you get, the harder it gets to sell the company because your universe of buyers gets smaller. And so once you're at the level where you're looking for close to a billion dollar valuation, I remember our banker said, 
you know, if you're looking for a billion dollar valuation, there are four people who can buy your company. And so it just really limits the pool of potential acquirers, the bigger that you get, because not every company has that much money to be able to, you know, mix to big acquisition. So there's kind of a sweet spot, at which I, I didn't realize until we started the process. So it's around like that 80 to 100 million ish mark. And does that mean also like if you're growing bigger than that and you're doing multi hundred millions of revenue, then you would need to go straight towards IPO because no one can then buy you? It depends. I mean, we've seen some really expensive acquisitions, right? Like Aesop just got bought for over $2 billion. 2.6, I think. Yeah, yeah some, something crazy. Like Paula's Choice was over a billion. Nutrafol, I think. I mean, so um, there are definitely exceptions. Uh, but then, you know, if that path doesn't work out, like if you don't sell to one of those four buyers, then the only option that you might have is actually, yeah, in the public markets. But that can also, I mean, that also comes with risk, right? Because we've seen some of the IPOs, especially with some of these like DDC brands that haven't gone so well. Totally. So you're in this board meeting, your investor is like, hell yes, let's go for it right now, (laughs) today. What happens then? Like, do you hire an M&A firm to work with you directly on like going out and, you know, brokering this deal? Or do you hire like a team internally to build out a strategy? Blah. Mm -hmm. You're going to hire a banker. So that's what we did. We interviewed four different banks and we gave them a little bit of information about the company. And then they took that, they digested it. And then we had sort of had a pitch off. So we asked them to you know, take the materials that we had sent them and basically pitch us why they would be good for us, why you know, we, they should be awarded uh, this amazing business to uh, find a buyer for. And so that took probably a few months. I want to say, yeah, three to four months. And then, um, so we probably kicked that off like, I don't know, July-ish. And then by November, we had picked the banker and we had signed the engagement letter with them. So we went with a bank called Financo Raymond James. And yeah, and they're the ones that really run the whole process for you. They do, they do a lot of work, actually. Um, all sorts of um, financial models and they create the decks and they're managing the relationships. And, and then even at the very end, they're helping with the negotiations on all, you know, all the points as you're about to sign the purchase agreement. And what made you choose that banker out of the fall? Like, why did they win the pitch? So we worked with a woman named Vinette and she's, she's like the beauty banker. I mean, if you look at the previous clients that she worked on, uh, Drunk Elephant, Tatcha, she worked on the Paula's Choice you know, deal. And then, and so, I mean, she has a really amazing track record, but uh, it's not just that, like, I think we're all really impressed with their pitch because again, you know, we had prepared a few slides to give more information about our company. And then when they pitched to us, it was clear that they went one level deeper and they did, they like commissioned um, some study and they they did really go one level deeper than other banks to help really inform the story that eventually would be really important in the deal. Because 
even in, you know, an M&A, if you're an M&A banker, you're actually still a marketer because because the story that you tell to potential buyers is actually really important. The way that you position a company and the way that you talk about like the strengths, it's really important. So um, so it was really clear from the deck that they had sent over that they went a level deeper in researching who we are and how they felt like they could position our, our company in the best way. Yeah, I love that. They're like gaining your trust. Yeah. And also I love that she's, She's a woman. She's a woman yeah. in historically a very male-dominated industry. And yeah, I mean, I mean, that's not why we chose her, right? But like I think that's I think it's really amazing that that, you know, she's such a kick-ass banker in a very male-dominated hundred percent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said that um, you know, in that process, they also helped you on the negotiation side of things. Like, how does the negotiation work? And I have a, it's like a multi question, multi, multiple question here. Like, firstly, like, how did you settle on the valuation? Obviously, there's numbers and spreadsheets and blah, but like, do you guys also have a feeling of like, I want this to be our valuation? And then you kind of have to settle on it and then like go into a room with lawyers on both sides and like discuss, or like, are you in the room discussing? Like, how does that work? Okay. So, you know, it's so weird because. First of all, like our transaction happened last year, but everything was over Zoom. Like almost everything was over Zoom. We did a lot over Zoom. I mean, there were in-person meetings and stuff, but even the like I've seen pictures of deal of deals where um, every you know both sides are in like one big conference room and they're all stuck yeah. together until four in the morning because they just have to like hash it out and then they like physically sign um, the documents. But it was not like that for us. It was all like <laughs> digital and DocuSign, which was kind of weird. Um, but, uh, oh, shoot, I just forgot your question. <laughs> yeah, like how does the negotiation happen? Like are you in the room? Uh, like do you settle on a valuation based on like personal, like take like an informed like choice or like how does it work? So, yeah, I mean, internally you kind of have your own number and you can, you know, you can do your own models. Like our, I remember our VP of finance, she had like done her own model and, and, you know, shorthand, we were sort of like, well, we, we think we're going to end up here in terms of revenue. We think a fair valuation for this company would be blah. And then on the other side, uh, the bankers will talk to all the potential parties and, and, you know, people who might be interested. And they ask them with very limited information to come back with a valuation number. Um, and so at that point, it's a very, it's a very loose number because they don't have all the data to kind of, you know, that usually goes into evaluation, but it's sort of a, um, you know, like a straw man approach, like here's some limited data, like what would you be, be willing to pay? And so they all come back with their number and usually you're, I mean, I don't know for us, like we, in that first round, that first round, there was like a very wide range of valuation numbers. And I think our number was definitely towards the upper end, but it's interesting to see because you can see sort of what general sentiment is in terms of how they would value your company. And then from there, you whittle it down, like, uh, you know, these numbers are too low or these people, um, we don't think it'd be a very good fit or, you know, we're not sure, you know, these people would actually be able to make it happen. And so you start whittling it down. And then from there, you know, you pick the parties that you want to go into the next stage with. And then from there, you give them more 
data, more information. So all the, you know, financial reports and, you know, all sorts of data room items. And then from there, that's where they really do the homework and they dig in and they start spending money on things. And then they'll come up with usually a firmer number, like based on all the information that we've seen and, you know, based on the, uh, the resources that we've hired to look at this category, like this is our number. And that number is usually a lot more solid. And then from there, there's sort of like a third phase where you might end up, maybe you're you're with like two or three potential acquirers and the number is sort of like, I don't know, in a closer range. And then to pinpoint the exact number you want, that's usually when the banker will go back and forth and say, hey, you need to do better. Like you need to do better. Uh, you know, we're looking, you know, more for um, like this sort of number. And then, and then it just gets, it gets more, um, it gets tightened up. Did anyone that lowballed you get through to like the last round? No, no. <laughs> no, you're out. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah. And is the number that you settled on, 630, what you expected or thereabouts? I mean, I think we're all really happy with it. And I think as a founder, you, you know, you always want more. You always want more and you always have huge ambitions for your company. Uh, but in the end, yeah, I think we're all really happy with how it turned out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Did you have like, you know, other founders in your network and like people around you kind of like advising you through this process or were you like upskilling through, I don't even know what resources? <laughs> like how do you navigate this? It feels so yeah. like there's only such a small pool of people who have actually done this. It's a really good question because I did, I did have a hard time finding other founders who had sold their companies. I mean, I, know, I knew of a few, so I did – I did ask them uh, from time to time their advice and and what they had done and uh, but it is it does get, I mean it's true like it gets lon- it gets lonelier the bigger that you get because not everyone has had successful um, outcomes and but I did have probably three people that I knew who I had ha- asked questions along the way and then outside of that you're sort of relying on your bankers to teach you, your investors to teach you, the lawyers. And then and then there's a good chunk where you're just figuring it out on your own. And there's no one that, <laughs> that you know, you can, you can really ask. Um, and that's where ha- I think having co-founders or having, like our leadership team was involved in the process too. And having them was really great too, because then, you know, you like complain to each other or you ask each other questions and you just, you figure it out together. If you're exec team is kind of across it do your staff know at all during this process or you like you have to keep it under wraps because it can't leak to somewhere something yeah we kept it very we tried to keep it very under wraps so we you know we had a question you know I remember very early in the process the question was who's in the tent and who's not and so um we there was a very clear line in terms of like who should know that we were uh, going out with this process and everyone else should not know just because I didn't, you know, we were still pretty young and I didn't want people to worry about what an acquisition meant. And, and also God forbid, like if it didn't happen, I didn't want people to feel disappointed or like we failed or anything like that. But I've seen different approaches. Like I've seen some companies make a, a press release saying, hey, like we've hired such and such bank to look at strategic options. So I'm, I mean, I don't know. It might be more of like a personal preference as much as a strategy discussion. Um, but for us, we decided to keep it under wraps. I think you said you had that first board meeting in March 2021. How long did it take like from that kind of meeting of like, hey, let's actually start taking action to like the sale is done, we've announced it, sign sale delivered? Yeah, I think it was, okay, so we probably had that meeting, yeah, maybe maybe around March-ish, and then I think it became finalized around June, because by then we had six months of data, and we knew we were well on that track, and then that summer, so like July to August, September, we were meeting, you know, we were interviewing the four different banks and getting, uh, giving them some information about the company. And then we had the pitch offs, I think September 
ish September, early October. I think we had the we had the banks pitch us, and then probably by end of October, November, we had signed with the bank that we worked with, and then from there um, we kicked off immediately. So November we kicked off, and then we closed our transaction October of 2022. So so from signing the engagement letter to closing our transaction, it, it was about 12 months. Wow. That's like 12 months is so short in so many ways, but also so long in so many ways when you're having to still run a company, make sure it's on the up still, managing like life, everything else, and then also yeah. trying to do this huge thing that is huge. Yeah. <laughs> it went by really fast, but in some, but it was it was a hard year. I mean... Selling a company is no joke for sure. And you feel a lot of pressure because there's like, I mean, in our case, like hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, you know? And it's not just you as a founder, but you know, you're thinking about your investors, your team, um, like you want things to go well. And I mean, it was my number one priority for those 12 months. Like, I mean, and luckily, you know, I, we were a good team where we had enough people who were focused on like the operations so that I could be focused on making sure this transaction really went well, but it's a lot of time just meeting, you know, meeting potential buyers and traveling here and there. And I mean, I had to go to New York a bunch of times. I went to Korea a bunch of times. And, and sometimes like the travel is, is literally, it's very last minute. Um, like I found out on a Monday, I had to go to Korea and I had to leave two days later. <laughs> so I booked an emergency trip, like things like that. So um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work for sure. I've heard on other podcasts that acquisitions are rarely kind of straightforward and, and linear. Were there any moments or hiccups when you were feeling like, holy shit, this might actually fall through, like at the last minute, it's not going to work? I mean, you know what? There was um, a sort of, do we do this or not? Because last year is when the war in Ukraine started. It started in February. And that... Uh, I just, I remember like everyone was so freaked out about the war and how it would impact the economy and like politics and all that. And so I just remember all of us, we were like, do we do this or do we not? Because, you know, no one had had been in a process when there was a global war happening in the world. So, you know, there was no data in terms of, oh, you know, we saw a process in a similar situation and it went like this. So we feel confident that, you know, things will continue as normal or or the reverse. So we literally all on a conference call had a whole hand, hold hands and just say, let's give it a shot. Um, but I remember that that was a big, a big moment for us. Yeah, gosh, no precedent set. Wow. And now you've said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you've done it. So you sell, everything's finalized October 2022-ish. Can you describe the moment when the money hits your account? Like, how do you feel when everything is like 100% done, somehow you've got this wild number <laughs> in your bank account and yeah. your life has forever changed? Yeah, it's, it's pretty surreal. 
And, but, but you know what, in a way it's like, you forget about it too, because it's, it's in your bank account. And I mean, I, you know, it's not, I mean, maybe for the first like few days, I was checking my bank account all the time just to make sure it was still there. <laughs> but, but also how do I explain it? It's, it's not in your face all the time. So a lot of times I forget, um, I don't, you know, I forget about it. Um, it's not something I, I think about all the time these days, but, but it's, it is very surreal. And I remember looking at my bank account and just almost like just laughing because it was so ridiculous <laughs> and an outcome I had never even dreamed about happening. Um, and I remember people were asking me like, you know, how has your life changed? Like, what are you going to do differently? And I don't know, my life hasn't changed that much. I, you know, we still live live in the same apartment in Paris and, you know, I still have the same clothes, maybe some clothes are a little bit nicer, but, but, and, but I don't think it's, it's something where your life goes from zero to a hundred and it changes overnight. It's probably a gradual thing. Um, And, and I think it also depends on sort of like, like how you value money, what you want to do with it. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who just go crazy with it, but in my case, um, in my case, I think I'm just going to sort of ease into <laughs> ease into this new lifestyle um, and yeah, and kind of see what I'm going to do with it. Wow. I mean, becoming kind of like richer than your wildest dreams that you could have imagined and then having it actually kind of like happen, it just seems so, yeah, so strange to even talk about and be like, what is that like? Like, all of a sudden, did you actually do anything to celebrate, like buy something, do something, take a moment, meditate? Like what was, what did you do like straight away? Oh gosh. Well, you know what? I, it's not just one thing. I did a lot of smaller things, I guess. So, um, I, last year was just so busy. So I want to take a minute. So I went to Amanzoe in Greece with a girlfriend for a few days. Cause I just, I was like, I want to get away. I just, I want to stay somewhere kind of iconic and just relax. So did that. And then, yeah, I mean, I treated myself to like, you know, certain things. I hosted a party in New York actually. Um, and that was really fun. So I bought out this pizza restaurant and invited like my business school friends, my college friends, I invited people in the CPG community, a bunch of people that actually met on Twitter who I'd never met in person, but, you know, we were friendly. Um, I invited vendors and, and, you know, people that the the company had worked with. And and I didn't invite anyone from the company uh, because for me, it was really just like a personal, um, a personal party. But that was really fun because I even, I remember like on the paperless post in my, like the title of the event was I sold my company party <laughs> and, uh, and I just invited everybody. <laughs> I, I was like, just come. And also because I hadn't seen people in a really long time. But, I mean, the process, it really does take a lot out of you. And every time I was in New York, I had no time to see anybody. I had no time to do anything personal. So that was my moment to, you know, to see my friends again and, and catch up as best as I could. And um, that was really fun. And, and it was just great to celebrate with, with a wider community too, because they had been cheering us on from the beginning. Your hype guys and gals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love that. Are there any negatives? Like, I know that 
of course, everything's so amazing. You've sold your company, crazy, crazy cool. But obviously everything's not always positive. Life isn't always full of ups. Has there been anything that you didn't expect or any downsides that have come out of this this time? I mean, I, I can't think of downsides, but things that I didn't I didn't really think about before was, I mean, obviously there are a bunch of us that were really excited about the acquisition because we had been working on it for so long and, and, you know, a lot of us really saw it as a success, but there were people, especially on the team who were not happy about it or very nervous about it because for example, they had been part of other acquisitions and, and as a part of those acquisitions, they lost their jobs. Or like, I think there were people who connote an acquisition with like bad vibes, you know? And so that I, I, I didn't realize, and that, that was something that we were trying to be mindful of. I mean, with our acquisition, no one, I mean, everyone, hundred percent of people are staying and no one um, is losing their job. Uh, so it was really important for us to reiterate, but I know there was a lot of nervousness around that. And Otherwise, I mean, you know what? The other thing that founders probably have to recognize is your job changes. I'm like, my job now is very different. There are things that I used to work on that I don't work on anymore. But also, I'm not the end decision maker anymore. And I think that issue probably is something that uh, founders get frustrated by because for so long, like you're the boss, you make the decisions. This is your company. But it's your once vision. you, yeah, it's your vision. But once you sell the company, you have to recognize that someone bought the company, and probably in a lot of cases, you're not going to be the decision maker. It's really people higher up, and you know, I've had to make peace with that because there are decisions that get made, you know, at much higher levels than me, and uh, and it can take some getting used to. How long do you think you'll stay working with Hero Cosmetics now that you've gone through the acquisition? You know what? I'm there for as long as they need me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't really have specific plans. I don't have like a date where, you know, I'm like, you know, this date I'm out. Uh, I'm just there. Yeah. Like this is a earn out contract moment, date, mm-hmm. locked in kind of thing, right? You're just going with the flow. Yeah. For us, it's not like that. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I'm just, I'm here to, you know, be helpful. And and it's great because now I'm doing things like um, I'm working more with some of the international teams to prepare this brand to go international. So, you know, traveling for retailer meetings and I don't know, I might have to go to Canada in a few months for a big like launch event. And and those types of things I think are really fun for, for a founder if, if you, you know, if you like that type of thing, like sharing the story and the vision and getting people really excited about it. Now that you've played the business game from literally the very beginning to literally the best case scenario, I feel like in business, people talk a lot about like the zero to one phase and the like one to 10 phase and then that getting to a hundred million phase. When you look back what was your favorite phase of building the business? Like if you had to like just choose that bit to do again, where would you sit? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. I mean, I really liked the zero to, I I think I liked from zero to 10. 
I mean, there are just different things that I liked about different different parts of the journey, but I, I would say zero to 10, you know, because now our companies, we're probably like 80 people and I don't, there are a lot of people I don't know. And I, you know, there are a lot of people I don't work with anymore, but from zero to 10, like I knew every single person at the company. I knew, you know, what they were doing. Uh, we'd have regular check-ins. I knew what was like going on in their lives. I, I've, I've lost that just because the company's so big now, which is sort of sad. Um, and then I, I just remember like early on, like every win is so sweet because yeah, you're literally building something from scratch. And um, I mean, I remember moments like when we were mentioned in the New York Times and like what an amazing moment that was just like seeing our brand name um, in that article and and us all trying to get ready for all the traffic that was going to come from this article um, or a first retailer. That was that was such a proud moment seeing us in anthropology and like being so excited. So I, I think there's like such sweetness to those like small moments those small wins because yeah you literally are starting from that nothing that I I really cherish oh love that would you do it all again now that you know the journey <laughs> yeah I mean I I would I don't know uh I don't know if I would start something from scratch maybe I'm not sure but I'd also be interested in uh, maybe like buying an existing company that I see potential in that um, that just needs like a little like some resources and some help. But yeah, but generally, you know what? I would do it all over again. This is my first exit. I hope it's not my last. Oh, that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, I hope to. I mean, there's a, a little bit of, um, you know, it's probably like giving birth, like, Right after, right after you sell the company, you're like, oh my God, I'm never doing this again. It was so hard. But then after you're like, hmm, I could do it again. You know, <laughs> I could probably do this again. Yeah. I mean, as well, like this was a five-year journey for you. Like, yeah, sure. It's not that long in the big scheme of things. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like Aesop, that's been around for a real long time, yeah. you know? 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Holy moly. Now in hindsight, And also having like a little bit of distance, six months-ish to like process what it's been like for you. What are your kind of overall key takeaways or like insights slash learnings that you would want to pass on to anyone listening to the show who is a founder or a future founder wanting to build a business? Ooh, let's see. I would say... um, it really comes down to making an amazing product. I'm reading this book called Breakthrough Brands because, I mean, you know, there's so many brands out there and not everyone breaks through to, I don't know, let's say, yeah, like the $80, $100 million level. So like, what is it about these brands that do break through? Like what makes them break through? And he talks a lot about like the basic thing is just having an amazing product. Uh, because when you know when people try it and they really like it, they will repeat. Um, I think in the beginning, there's a lot. Of, there's probably too much weight put on brand, and not enough weight put on the product. So I would say focus on your product. And for us, I mean, the Mighty Patch product, which is our hero product. I mean, it is an amazing product through and through. And uh, even you know, in the very beginning when we had um, we had a different um, look for the packaging 
which was, you know, it's not what it is today. Like it still uh, did really well just because the product experience, I think, was really amazing for everybody. And for us, you know what? I think the fact that we were really profitable was very important in getting that transaction. Because, And especially these days, I think you have to be profitable. I don't think anyone will, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are exceptions, but it doesn't seem like there are many cases where they will, where anyone will entertain a business that's not profitable. So yeah, like focus on building a business, a good business that can really last the test of time. And that's going to be it being cash flow positive and profitable and not always relying on raising money. Love that. Obsess about the product and obsess about the numbers. <laughs> what do you want to shout about for Hero? Like, what are you doing now since you've been acquired that are like on this next level kind of stage or arena that you can tell us about? Well, we just launched our first ever brand campaign on Connected TV. Um, I mean, for the first, we're going into year six. So the first, you know, five years, four or five years, we only focused on lower funnel. So it was very kind of ROAS driven and it was, you know, really about efficiency, but also we spent the first four years really fine tuning our brand and figuring out who, like who we are and what we stand for as a brand. So we did that work the past two years. And then now we're, we felt like we were in a really good place to start uh, moving our dollars from our upper funnel. So I don't know if you saw on LinkedIn, but I posted one of the commercials that we filmed and um, it's all around pimple meet your mighty patch so we personify the pimple on someone's face you know and all those like terrible moments like at a wedding or on a date or when you're on vacation and then we have the mighty patch like fall down and really get rid of the pimple but (laughs) that I think the hero in the story (laughs) yeah exactly and so far I think the response has been really great and you know, we're finally moving more into that brand area, which we haven't done for the five, you know, first like five, six years. Uh, so it's, I think it's going to be huge. Oh my gosh. How exciting. Goodness. I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> we are up to the six quick questions part of the episode. So question number one is what's your why now post-selling this business? Like what's your why every day that takes you back to Hero Cosmetics? I think my why is I want to turn Hero Cosmetics into the number one acne care brand globally. So I think before it was really about focusing on the U.S., but now it's sort of changed a bit because now like the ambitions are international. So I have that sort of like that's kind of like the goal that I'm I'm really focusing on for us and also for the team. That's really exciting. I feel like that should mean trips to Australia. I feel like that should mean like you coming here often. Yes, actually, (laughs) there might be, there might be. I will definitely let you know. Oh, great. Yes, you keep me posted. Question number two is what has been your favorite marketing moment in the journey so far? Gosh, there have been so many amazing moments. I mean, most recently we we were in, so I don't uh, play the New York Times crossword puzzle, uh, but I know a lot of people do. And we were a clue 
in the New York Times crossword puzzle. So the clue was Mighty Patch Target. And then the answer was Zit. And that, I mean, I love moments like that because it's totally organic. We did not, you know, we didn't pay for it. We didn't see, we didn't do anything. But moments like that, that are really organic, I think are really amazing just because you know that you've like entered sort of like psyche of American consumers when, you know, the writer of the New York Times crossword puzzle considers you that iconic that, you know, they add you as a clue um, in the crossword puzzle. And um, I just, yeah, I think organic moments like that are just, they're really special. That's insane. First of all, I've never heard of that happening before. And it's crazy that that's like, that's a level above marketing. That's like zeitgeist stuff. Yes, you're like exactly. part of pop culture now. You're you're part of the culture. That's mm-hmm. that's like insane. Yeah. Oh shit. I know. Wow. I hope that's you have that framed. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three. I know you've mentioned a few already, but what is your go-to business resource if we have to think about a book, a podcast, or a newsletter? I listen to um, the All In podcast, which is more about tech. I mean, you know, it's like for tech people, but actually their commentary on more macro things is very interesting for me as a business leader. So I listen to that. Um, I I am reading Breakthrough Brands, which I would recommend because it's yeah, because like for me, it was sort of like wondering wh- why us, like why was Hero able to break out? Because interestingly, I mean, there are a lot of other brands that have a pimple patch out there, especially in the US. There are a lot. Um, but we have the most market share. We're at like almost 50% market share. And the number two is at, I don't know, they're like 20 uh, so our lead is that much bigger. Wow. Yeah. Significant. Yeah. And so I always, I mean, I, I think I kind of know why, but I also wanted to read this book because I wanted to know, I kind of wanted to, in a more methodical way, like learn, yeah, what was it about what we did and how we did it that really made us stand out like that? Um, so yeah, I would encourage people to read that. And what else? I mean, I, I read you know, all the business uh, sites like Wall Street Journal and Financial Times, because, yeah, I think it is important to have a pulse on what's going on in the world. And these days I've been reading Financial Financial Times a little bit more just because it has more of that global view. Um, So yeah, that's a little bit of what I do. With the book Breakthrough Brands, I know we touched on it before, but if you have to think about like what are, you know, parts of the success formula for you? Like, is it like supply chain distribution, like having that like down pat? Is it having a brand that speaks to a broad American audience? Is it someone who is like the right kind of partnerships? Like what are the things? Well, it's, it's a lot of different things, but actually he does, he does talk about making sure your target audience is kind of broad because he gives an example of there are like two tortilla brands and there's one that's really focused on um, I think like the Latino community uh, because everything's in Spanish and there's a sort of like authentic Mexican uh, history with the tortillas and the recipes and all that stuff 
And then the other brand, um, it was broader because it targeted not just the Latinos, but also like general Americans that really liked Mexican food. And so when you look at the size of the, of the, the category or potential category for those two, the one that was targeting the more general, you know, Americans who love Mexican food, that, that category is so much bigger than just targeting the Latino community in the U.S. So he gave that as an example of, of yeah, it is better. Like maybe you start out in a niche, but like as you grow, you really do have to broaden your um, your horizons. And I think that's why that's definitely one of the reasons why we're successful, because, you know, the way that our brand is constructed, it's very, you know, it's very gender inclusive, but also age inclusive, because there are a lot of brands that focus just on the teens. But hey, there are a lot of adults that have acne too. And I think we we communicate to them as well. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Question number four is how do you win the day? What are your AM and PM rituals and habits that keep you feeling happy and motivated? So uh, now that I have more time, I'm actually working out a lot more consistently. So now I'm doing like three days a week, an hour in the gym, focusing a lot more on strength training, eating more protein. And that's been really great. Um, Also focusing on getting outside and just like walking, getting, you know, getting my 10,000 steps. But I, I, I like the idea of like the 10,000 steps because it does make me just get outside. Sometimes I, you know, turn on a podcast, sometimes I don't. But actually those walks are the times where I get the, sometimes the most inspiration. Um, just like, you know, you with your thoughts, letting your mind wander and it wanders into, you know, certain places and, and then you just get an idea. Um, those have been actually very productive for me. Yeah, I agree. I think like we need to have more time where we're just in kind of like idle thinking phase, like nothing on, nothing, listening to nothing in particular and just like enjoying being outside. Yeah. Question number five, what was your worst money mistake in the business and how much did it cost you? Oh gosh. Mo- um, I don't know. I can't. I mean, I'm sure we made them. I know we made them. <laughs> I just, but nothing sort of comes to mind at the moment. But because I mean, generally we do try to be careful with our money. I don't know. I really can't think of one. Sorry. Fair enough. Good for you. <laughs> Question number six, last question. What is just a crazy story, good or bad, you can share from the journey of building Hero Cosmetics? Oh, geez. I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is I think with our process and um, I mean, it really, you know, just for anyone who who's listening, who may be selling their company, it really does take over your life. And just to give you some examples, like I got tickets to Wimbledon, the Wimbledon men's semifinals last year for, um, as a birthday gift to my husband. And we were in these amazing seats and we were in the third set. And, and then (laughs) I got a call and they were like, you have to be on this conference call. It's very, very urgent. So I had to step out of the match and take this call. Um, and I was hoping for a four set. 
Um, so it was like on this conference call about like legal stuff. And, and then, and then after the call ended, I got back and then basically the match was over. Uh, so <laughs> there's like, there are moments like that. Um, you know, we were on vacation and I remember, you know, we were in California and we were at lunch, you know, just like me and my husband were having lunch and, and they're like, you have to be on this conference call. So I was on this conference call during our lunch, you know, I have like my AirPods in and my husband's like, you know, opposite me, just like eating. Basically, he's just basically by himself, you know, because <laughs> I'm distracted on this conference call. But, but it's just like, those are the, I mean, those are just snippets to give you a sense of like, you know, how, how much time it takes um, and how, you know, you do, sometimes you do have to, depri- unfortunately, deprioritize like other aspects in your personal life. Um, and I remember at the end, like everyone was really sick of it. Um, you know, myself, my husband, you know, I'm sure like my family members also. Um, but yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Jude, thank you so much for taking the time to step us through that playbook. That was wild. Huge congratulations. I know I said it a million times already, but huge congratulations. You are such a role model and such an inspiration to everyone building a business in today's world. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I'm still your hype girl. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash hype club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. 